Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. going to be a good day. We're in a series called Prioritize. Everybody say prioritize. Prioritize first things first. And we're taking a look at what God's word has to say about the priorities in our lives. What should be in what places in our lives? What should be in what places in our hearts? And part of the premise of this series has been this things that we have in our lives, and it's not that they're bad, it's not that they shouldn't be there, it's that they shouldn't be in the place that we've put them in, because they're out of order. And so this is what we're talking about in this series. I'm going to dive right into it, but how many of you have just, when your home is out of order, meaning like clutter and junk, how many of you get stressed out by that? See, y'all are my people. Because in the 830 service, I asked that question and like two people raised their hand. And I was like, what? Like y'all just knock over the trash can for fun? Like what is? But I like, I like when my home has, you know, more of an order. Now, not as much as my wife, because truth be told, when I was a young man, I'm just confession time with Pastor Gabe. When I was a younger man in my 20s before Lauren and I married, I was not the most cleanly of people, right? You, when you walk into a 20-year-old man's house, a young man's house, how many of you are expecting things to be immaculate? Okay, nobody. <laughs> nobody. So, and I've since then learned with my wife, okay, I like my house to be a little more in order. And so now... It went from me being okay with stuff being everywhere to now I come home and if there's trash and my daughters have clothes everywhere, I'm like, when are we raising pigs? <laughs> like, you pick this up, you put this up, you hang this, right? Like, it's just it's gotten on me. Because when your home is out of order, it brings stress, it brings chaos, it brings problems. Now, this is very much true for the physical condition of our home, but this morning I want to talk about the relationships, the heart of our home. Because when, when our home is, let me teach you something. When our home is out of order, it's indicative of the fact that our heart is out of order. This is how this flows. When your heart is out of order, your home is out of order. And when your home is out of order, there's chaos. There's no peace. You can have the best job in the world and absolutely love your job and be thriving in your job. You can be killing it in school, but if there's nothing but conflict and arguments and tension in your home, there is no peace in your life. And so part of the reason why we have this lack of peace is because we don't have a well-ordered heart and a well-ordered home. I'm talking about the spiritual order of the family the spiritual order of the home. When things are out of order, there are problems. When things are out of order, there is chaos and there is a lack or a void of peace. And so God's word has something to say about that. And I want to be very honest. I could, I could approach this message and really go after the lies of culture which make me angry and make me upset. But instead, I'd rather talk to you this morning as a spiritual father. And I want to do what God's word says. I want to help wash you with the word. What does God's word say? And hopefully it renews your mind. So I'm not attacking culture this morning. I'm trying to speak to God's sons and his daughters about what his word says we should live like. So I want us to go to a book that has been really speaking to us in this series, which was not planned, but the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, so much has stood out in this series from the very first message when uh, Jesus is speaking through John to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation. I want to go to that book again 
Because in the first three chapters of that book, we see the Apostle Paul speaking to the people of Ephesus, and he's telling them who they are. Because of God's great faithfulness to them, they have been brought into this new thing called the church. We've lived with churches for the last 2,000 years, so we understand it, but this was brand new in that day. This was unheard of in that day. It was not just a religion. It was, church is not something you attend. Church is a family you're a part of. And Paul is explaining to the people of Ephesus that they are now a part of this family, both Jews and Gentiles, and how blessed they are that God would send them Jesus Christ to bring them into this family. And he's explaining the riches that are given to them through Christ Jesus, the blessings that they're a part of. Now, he's going through all of these things, and he's telling them about this high calling that they're called to. And then in chapter 4, he shifts things. He turns. There's a turning of the page in the book of Ephesians. And he goes, he shifts from telling them all the amazing things about who God's called them to be to telling them to, and teaching them how to walk worthy of that calling. He's teaching them. And he even says, walk worthy of the calling. This is what you're called to. This is how you walk worthy of that. I mean, if you've ever been around someone who you've known them for years, you know the, you know the, the, the secrets in their heart, you've had deep, intimate conversations, and you see them acting in a way that is inconsistent with their identity. How many of you get frustrated by that? Because you see them going, that's, and you just want to tell them, that's not who you really are. Stop faking. Stop posing. Stop pretending to be something that you're not. And it's as if the Apostle Paul is saying, this is how you live consistent with the identity that you have. This is who you are. This is how you live that out. In chapter 4, that's when he makes that turn. In chapter 5, he starts telling them things like imitate God. Imitate the example of Christ in his love, love like Jesus loved. He's telling them that. And then he makes this turn in chapter 5, and he gets real practical and real specific, and he starts talking to us about the family. Because the family represents the church, and we're going to see that in a moment, or the, the, this union between God and the church. He's getting ready to explain that to us, but he begins by saying this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. This is what it says. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul speaking, he's talking to all of the believers but what's interesting is that he uses this statement, again, to springboard into talking about the order of the family, the spiritual order of the family. In other words, he's getting ready to tell them how to honor God by submitting to one another. How to honor God with their lives by submitting to one another. Here's the priority. Here's the principle. The very first thing that you need to know about the spiritual order of the family. Are you ready? Lean in. It's not about you. That's the main thing that you've got to get. In a family, if the family in your eyes is all about you, can I help you with something? You are a big part of the problem. You are a big part of the problem. Let me tell you something. Maturity is measured by your willingness to put others first. Your maturity is measured by your ability to put other people's needs before your own needs. Pastor, prove that to me. Okay, glad you asked that. Babies, children cry when their needs aren't being met. They cry when they don't get what they want. That's why your spouse has told you stop acting like a child. How many of you have ever had your spouse do that? Don't you dare raise your hand. setting you up for failure with that one. Right? When we, when, that's what children do. A child's first word very possibly could be mine. Why? Because they're born with a sinful, selfish nature the same way we are. 
not my precious little grandbaby. Yes, your precious little grandbaby is selfish. You heard it first here. No, we're all, we're all born with a sinful nature. And hopefully, hopefully we mature and we start to think about others. And how is that maturity measured? By your ability to think about others and what's best for them, not just your own self. Now, I believe in stewardship. Don't get me wrong. I believe in stewardship. But I think because of the unhealth that we've seen in, in different people's lives and the burnout in people's lives, I've, I, I see us shifting to an unhealthy extreme. And it's the extreme of never resting, never taking care of your body, never honoring a Sabbath in your own life, which is something God instituted, not man for God, but not man for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was for man to give you rest for healthy rhythms and healthy patterns. But I see us swinging from that extreme of burnout to it's all about me and I got to take care of me at all costs. I got to make sure I get mine at all costs. And we swing to that extreme, and our tag on is take care of you. You be the best you you can be. You need some you time. How many moms with little kids even understand what that word me time is? Make sure you're rested. Make sure you're healthy. All of those things. Listen, let me, I believe in self-care, but I don't believe in selfishness. And there is a line, there is a distinction between caring for yourself and selfishness. And my concern is that we're, pro we're producing within the future generations this only think about yourself mentality. This selfish mentality, it's all about me. All, the, all I think about is me. All I think about is my trauma. What the world has done wrong to me. The world owes me because I've been hurt and everybody else needs to know about it. That's the selfishness that we're producing. And we can throw stones all we want without looking at what we've contributed to that. Selfishness is at the root of that. Have you been hurt? Yes. Have I been hurt? Yes. Have we all been hurt? Yes. If anyone in this church has never been hurt, then please pray for everyone else in this church because we have all been hurt. And what happens is we think that somehow that's going to fix the problem. That's not going to fix the problem because selfishness begats selfishness. And it's a vicious cycle that just keeps going. You think about you, so you think about you. So you think about you, and then you think about you. And the, the cycle keeps going until somebody breaks it and actually thinks about other people. And actually serves other people. That's why the Bible says submit to one another. And let's talk about that word submission, because I know it's not a popular word. But it's a biblical word. Submission means to come under, sub, come under the mission of something or someone else. And that term, uh, submit, by according to Strong's Concordance, is this, to subordinate, reflexively to obey, to be under obedience, put under, subdue under, to make subject to, to put in subjection to, under, submit, self unto. What's the theme coming under? When you submit, you come under. You choose to come under. And when you're under, what do you do? You serve. You serve. This is the first priority that we have out of order. Because we think about ourselves. We serve ourselves. What's best for me? We, when we think things, we think about how things are going to affect us. But here, here's the motivation that the Apostle Paul has given us. I know you don't want to submit, but he said, do it out of reverence for Christ. That's your motivation. Why do we submit to one another? Why do we serve our families? Because we're submitting to Christ. That means that even when they made you mad, you submit. 
even when you, they've hurt you in the past, they've asked for forgiveness, but you want to hold them to it. Because I'm submitted to Jesus, I submit to what Jesus wants me to be submitted to. I'm going to say that again because I think you might have missed that. If I am submitted to Christ, then that means I'm submitted to the things that Christ wants me to be submitted to. Paul said, do it out of reverence for Christ. This is family. When you want, when you have a healthy family unit, you have a family that is submitting one to another, serving one another. That is the beginning of the order that God wants in the home. That is the beginning of what God wants in the family, listen, and in the spiritual family. Serving and submitting to one another, helping one another. The order of the family begins with understanding in your heart that you have a role to serve and to prefer one another in the family. Now, again, as we talk about this, right out the gate, I want you to know the worst place to start is thinking about yourself. And that goes contrary to every book that you've probably read recently and every podcast that you've listened to. But I'm just going to tell you, it's been true for 2,000 years. It's been true since the Apostle Paul penned it. And it's still true today. So this is our posture. This is how we, this is how we align ourselves within our family. And again, it doesn't mean neglect ourselves. I'm not suggesting that. But what I am saying is you aren't first. It's not all about your needs. It's not all about you. And I fear that sometimes we try to get in our new family what we did, didn't get in our old family. We wanted to be the center of attention in the last family, so now I'll be dang if I'm not the center of attention in this family. Man, it's quiet in here this morning. <laughs> We're called to submit to one another. Now, the Apostle Paul gives us the ways in which we are to submit to one another. And he starts getting very specific as he starts talking about the order of the family. Again, remember this. A well-ordered heart produces a well-ordered home. So take this to heart. Take these words to heart and let this word wash it the way you think. Verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. He's saying the way you do, you, you live out this submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, this is your part and this is how you do it. After that, he says, this is how husbands do it. After that, he's going to talk about parents and the parent and child relationship. And we're going to talk more about that next week as well. But he says this, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in every now, I know this is not a very popular verse. And, well, in some cases, it's very popular. For unhealthy men, it's the only verse that they know in the Bible. They don't know John 3.16, but they, I heard somewhere wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. They know that verse. But listen to me. Just because it's not popular and just because it's challenging does not mean it's wrong. I've sat with couples Multiple couples who have believed the lie. Here's the lie. The lie that a woman is supposed to be in the place that a husband is in the family. And how if you dare to say that or you dare to say anything against what we're saying is right as a society and as a culture, then you're a sexist and you're a misogynist. Neither one of those is true. Because I've seen them play that out, flesh out, believing all of the lies that, that they've believed, and I've watched them have the repercussions of that within their home. When you're expecting him, wives, to actually step up and lead, and he doesn't because he doesn't know how, because he's never been given the opportunity or the space to do that because you've always led. 
Or maybe he grew up in a home where his mom was the most dominant factor in the world, so he has no idea how a husband is supposed to lead a family. Or worse, he doesn't want to because it's more easy, it's comfortable for him to just let you lead. And you're stuck carrying the weight that you were never designed by God to carry. God didn't make you, here in my heart, as your pastor in love, God did not make you the head of the home. He didn't design that for you. And some of you, unfortunately, have had to step into that role. But if you have a husband, I want to talk to you about learning how to take a step back so that he can. So that he can actually step into the place. Why? Because that is a well-ordered home. That's the spiritual order of a home. Jesus didn't for clarity because, listen, I'm not ignorant to Satan's devices. I know he's already in some of your ear. This is what he's saying. He thinks women. The Bible can't be trusted. Jesus. Jesus never beat down women. He protected them. He empowered them. They were women named among the followers of Jesus, the closest to him. As a matter of fact, when he rose again from the dead and the angel showed up, guess who he spoke to and, and told Jesus rose from the dead first? A woman, Mary. So this is not women submit to men. This is not women, you're less than men. This is wives submit to your husbands because it's the order of the family. Again, listen, what I'm saying this morning, I'm not, I'm not saying to be mean. I'm not saying to be any of those things. I'm speaking as a spiritual father to give you the truth of God's word because here's the flat-out truth. Things are out of order, and they're not right. And because they're out of order, it's hurting you and it's hurting the family. This is the truth of God's word. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, I read something recently in, in Ephesians Again, in, in chapters 1 through 4, Paul is talking about the, how the body is supposed to function and, and, and the order of, of the blessings, excuse me, of the body of Christ. But I read this, and it was almost as if I'd read it for the very first time. It jumped off the page to me a couple weeks ago. This is what it says in chapter 1. Paul says this in verse 19. I also pray, same book, chapter 1. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realm. This is what he's saying. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. The very same power that rose him from the dead lives in you, lives in us as his people. Verse 21, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. All authority has been given to Jesus. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him what? More than three people can say that with me. God has made him what? Head over all things. God made him the head of over the body. In the very same chapter that the Apostle Paul says the husband is the head of the family, the same way Christ is the head of the church. Now, don't miss this. He says he has made him head over all things for what? The benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So if the wife represents the body and the husband represents the head and the authority and the responsibility has been given to the head, what, why has the authority and ability to lead and responsibility been given to the head of the family? For the benefit of the body. And this is, I don't want to go too far into this yet, but men, the reason why you are the head the reason why you have the responsibility is not for yourself. It is for the benefit of the body. It means that if you have leadership, your leadership is not there for your benefit. It's to benefit those you are leading. 
And that means that the decisions you make are based off of what's best for them, not what's best for you. This is the order of the family. This is how God designed it. This is what he wants. It is for the benefit. Now, wives, hear me. I'm talking to you today. Next week, I'm going to be talking to your husbands. So when you're thinking, why aren't you talking to them? Because I'm talking to you. (laughs) Next week, I'll be talking to him. But right now, I'm talking to you. And God's word is talking to you. Wives, when you don't let your husbands lead, you aren't just hurting him. You are hurting your family. You are hurting your family. When you question him at every turn, you're hurting your family. Sometimes he needs to be questioned. But when you question him at every turn, you're hurting your family. When you publicly mock him and make fun of him, you're not just hurting him, you're hurting the health of your home. When you treat him like he's one of the children, you are hurting your home. Now again, you may not agree with this. I hear you, but let me be very clear. If you are disagreeing with this, you are not disagreeing with me because I'm only telling you what God's word says. It's not me you're disagreeing with. It's God and his word that you're disagreeing with. And I'm not saying I haven't been there. But at the end of the day, we're called to submit to his word and let it wash you and help you think the right way. Again, speaking to the lies of the enemy, at no point am I saying, women, change your personality. Be weak. We're not against strong women. Have you met my wife? You met my daughter. Some of you have even met my mom. You know we are not against strong women, but we are for stronger men. For stronger men. What does that mean? That means that we are for men taking on the responsibility to actually lead those strong women and rising to the occasion to actually lead those strong women. Bearing that weight and responsibility is not me given, it's not you given, it's God given. God given weight, God given responsibility. What I am saying is God has made him the leader of the family. Let him lead and submit to his leadership. Doesn't mean you don't have conflict or disagreements, but it means submission. Don't miss this. It means submission begins where agreement ends. We don't agree. We don't agree. We can't figure it out. We can't figure it out. At some point, you've got to go. You make the decision, and I'll follow. That's what submission looks like. That's what submission means. And it also does not mean submit to sin because your ultimate allegiance is to Christ. So if he's asking you to sin against God, you don't submit to that. That is not what scripture is saying. But barring that, it's saying let him lead because that's the role God has given him. And I want to speak to this as well. I didn't get to say this in the first service, but some of you may even say, well, Pastor Gabe, you have three daughters. Are you telling me that one day you want your daughters to submit to a man? Yes. That's exactly what I'm telling you. Because when my daughters marry, I want them to marry a man who loves Jesus. I want them, yeah. Listen, I want them to marry a man who loves Jesus, who fears God, who loves them, who slightly fears me. It's true. Who takes on the role and the responsibility of leading his home seriously. Who understands the same vows that you've all taken and we forget about them as if they were just a speech we made to protect, to provide for, to pray for, and to lead them. That's exactly what I'm saying. As a matter of fact, that day, which I don't want to think about it too much because I may not be able to finish this message. But one day when I'm handing, when I'm walking my daughter down the aisle, that's symbolic of me literally handing the leadership of her life over to that man. So when they marry, they're not just marrying somebody who's cute. 
They're not just marrying somebody with abs. Some of y'all used to have them, and it's a long time ago. <laughs> Listen to me, single people. This is for you. Single ladies, when you marry, you're not just marrying a friend. You're not just marrying a lover. You are marrying a leader. Choose wisely. Yes. Choose wisely. I'm handing them over to someone who's going to love them, lead them, protect them, provide for them, and cover them. That's the role of a husband. That's the order of the family. Well, pastor, I don't agree with you. I'm sorry to tell you you're wrong. These are ways, wives, I want to get practical with the little bit of time we have left. Ways to honor your husband and submit to him as your husband. If you're taking notes, please write this down. Number one, pray for him and his success. Pray for him and his success. If the head doesn't do well, neither does the body. If you're not praying that God gives him the wisdom to lead your family, you're in trouble. Pray that God blesses him. Listen, even when you're mad at him, even when he's done something, you're like, I can't believe you. When you pray for him, you open up the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to speak to him, for God to speak to him. And at the end of the day, who would you rather him listen to? You or the Holy Spirit? Then pray that God speaks to him. Pray for him. Cover him in prayer as well. That's the first thing you can do. Number two, and I've said this, but I'm going to say it again. Let him lead. Let him lead. Remember, as the leader, he has the responsibility for you and for the family. He, listen, when I stand before God, I'm not just standing before God for myself. I'm standing before God for my wife and for my daughters. I have to give an account for how I've led them. I have to give an account for how I've led you. And the worst thing that a leader can do is not lead. And so when you're the leader of the home, that weight is yours. Wives, he needs you to pray for him as he leads, but he also needs you to let him lead. Be easy for him to lead. Be easy for him to lead. Again, he needs, he needs your wisdom. He needs to honor your words, but he needs the ability to be able to make the decision. Let him. And if you want to empower him to make better decisions, let him feel the weight of the decisions. When he has to come home, if he's made a poor decision and he has to look you in the eye and realize that you trusted him to make that decision, he'll start making better decisions. Pastor, I don't know if I can let that go, if I can let that control go, because that's what it is. Fear causes us to do what? control. And instead of making a real wisdom decision, we make decisions based out of fear. That's never a good thing. That's never a good thing. Remember, this is the leader you chose to follow. When you said, I do, this is the leader you chose to follow. Number three, build him up with your words. Build him up with your words. Speak life over your husband. Honor him publicly and privately. If you want to see your husband become the man that God wants him to be, pray and ask God to show you the man that he's called to be and speak that over him. Yes. Baby, I'm so proud of you. you. You lead our family so well. You are a man of wisdom. Baby, the way that you have surrounded yourself with godly men and you hear wisdom from other men as you make decisions based off our family, thank you for leading us well. Baby, when you wore that golf shirt the other day. <laughs> build him up. Listen to me. Please hear this. Thank him for breaking the curses in your family 
that are now broken that you don't have to live out. Curses from his past and yours that he stepped in and said, we're not going to live like this. Thank that man for that. Honor him for that. And again, let me just expose, as your pastor, let me expose. Pastor, what about me? He needs to thank me. It's not about you. Remember the beginning of this message? It's not about you. It's not about him either. But you got to get out of that place of thinking that it's only about you. When you, let me put that, if you hurt, this is how you hurt your kid's perspective of authority, by cursing your husband. When you publicly curse your husband, you hurt your kid's view of authority. You, set your, you actually curse your kids. And I'm not just talking about using curse words, although some of you need to stop doing that too. You stop cursing at him. But I'm talking about calling out all of his faults and all of his failures and belittling him in front of the people he's responsible to lead. And when you do that, let me tell you what you're doing. You are telling your kids that unless someone is perfect, they don't have to honor that authority. And you set them up for failure because they will only be one perfect leader in their life, and his name is Jesus. So when you publicly dishonor and curse your husband and you, and you do those things, you are teaching your kids how to do that. And you are setting them up for failure. And I know this is hard, but I love you enough to tell you this truth because your family is worth it. Your daddy is nothing. He's never, you're never going to be your daddy was His daddy was nothing. Thank God y'all have me. You're hurting them. You don't mean it. I know you don't mean it. But that's the fruit of what you're producing. Speak life over him. And I'm, let me, again, let me bring some clarity. There are moments that you need to pull your kids aside and say what your daddy did wasn't right. There are those moments. Because you have to teach them morality. You have to teach them right from wrong. There are those moments. And hopefully dad is humble enough to come in and own those things to say, you know what, kids, I'm sorry. Listen, if you can't lead by example, lead by repentance. And hopefully he does. But in those moments, wives, hear me. You know and God knows the difference in your heart. Because there are times that you do that and it is not for the benefit of the kids. It's to hurt him. And I'm telling you that when you think you're hurting him, you're really hurting the ones you're trying to protect. So you can do those things and have those conversations but know your heart because a well-ordered heart produces a well-ordered home. Number four, don't put your kids above him. That's a big one. And that's one that some of you have never heard before. Don't put your kids above him. Again, we're talking about, we're talking about order. So many families have conflict, have tension, and then you introduce a child into this relationship, and you never fix the relationship or the tension, and you put the kids on the pedestal, and for the next 18 years, you stay together, and you fight through things for the sake of the kids, and as soon as the kids leave, what happened? Well, there's no reason. I don't like you. We don't have anything in common, so let's just end it. And what should be some of the sweetest years of your life together become the years that you call it quits. Why? Because you idolized your children and put them in the wrong order of your family. When you are putting one another first, you're dealing with those problems. You're dealing with those issues. You're resolving things because you realize that, listen, if I put him first and husbands, if I put her first, then that brings blessings to my children. It brings blessings to my children. Listen, he may act like a child sometimes, but don't treat him like one. He's the man God has called to lead your family. Yeah, let me keep going. Number five, meet his needs. Meet his needs. Pastor, what about my needs? I'm not talking to him yet. I'm talking to you. 
And husbands, can I, I will say this to you. I will say this to you. And I'm going to say more about this next week. Some of you are so afraid to have conflict in your home that you are allowing your home to be in disorder because you're afraid of conflict. That's still your responsibility. It's still your, I should not be the first person to ever tell your wife these things. You need to say it with humility. You need to say it with honor and love for her. But you need to wash her with the word of God. Now, again, other extreme, let me just go there. Don't just quote, wife, submit to your husband. You have a role to submit to her as well. But meet his needs. There are needs, wives, in his life that only you can meet, that only you are called by God to meet. There are areas of support in his life that only you can provide. You are the closest person to him. You know his deepest, darkest secrets. There's a way that you can support him that no one else can. Listen, one of the areas, just one, there are many, but one of the areas is sexually. It's not the only one, but it's a major one. It's a major need that you are called to meet in your husband's life, and husbands, you are called to meet in your wives' lives. That's a need that you are supposed to meet for one another. And if I hear people say this, and it frustrates me every time because they're like, you know, Pastor, we don't talk about, we need to talk about sex more. The church doesn't do a good enough job as they talk about this ethereal concept as if all of the churches are right here in front of them. And I think you obviously don't come to our Savior's church because we talk about sex a lot. As a matter of fact, half of my job is keeping single people out of bed and married people in bed. Listen, we laugh, but it's the truth. Isn't it ironic that when you're, when you're not supposed to do it, that's when you have the drive and just want to do it. And when it's given to you as a gift, you treat it like it's a curse. It's the truth. Ladies, when you withhold sexual intimacy from your husband, let me be very, very clear. You are hurting the unity of your family you are hurting the unity of your family. If you have gone two months, three months, I'm talking about people who are sexually healthy, okay, sexually healthy, meaning you have the ability to have a healthy sex life. If you have that ability, then you should have a healthy sex life. Single people, I am not talking to you. (laughs) Don't you walk away from me, Pastor Gabe said, no, no. You should, if you, in the context, the covenant of marriage, one man, one woman. The context of marriage is what God ordained. If you have the ability to have a healthy sex life, you should have one. When you have gone extended periods of time, you are sinning against one another. That's how serious the Bible makes it. You are sinning against one another. You are hurting the unity of your family. Well, Pastor, I just, I don't always feel like it, Pastor. I'm positive that's the case. But there are many moments that he doesn't feel like holding up his end of the covenant either. He doesn't feel like doing his part either. Okay, fine. I'll just, I'll submit. (laughs) I'll just submit to that. And we'll do whatever. Listen, what if, listen to me, what if, he did the exact same thing with heart-to-heart intimacy and conversation with you. If he just looked at you every time you wanted to have a deep heart-to-heart conversation, and he just went, is this over yet? How intimate would you feel? How pleased would you be with that? This is how we submit to one another. We serve one another. We meet one another's needs. He also needs you. He also needs you to build him up. And I've talked about using your words, but I want to go back to this for a moment. Encourage him to be everything that God's called him to be. 
And if he is it, he will do it for the benefit of the family. So when you bless him, you're actually blessing you. That's the way the kingdom works. Because here's the thing, you think you have to protect yourself by being selfish, but you're really hurting yourself by being selfish. But if you give yourself away and you serve and you help and you bless, what happens? Those things come back to you. It's amazing how when you meet someone else's needs, your needs somehow get met. That when the whole family stops thinking about themselves and they actually start serving and submitting to one another, what happens? You have a healthy family. This is what the word of God is trying to teach us. Now I want to end with this. And this is, this is the prelude to where we're going next week. But wives, hear me. Hear your pastor. Honor your husband. Submit to your husband. Serve your husband. Don't let the lies of you're less than. and You're, you're none of those things. You have a role to play. Play that role. And help him play his role so that the family works in an order. And before you can ever flesh those things out physically, first that order has to come from your heart. You've got to esteem him in a place of honor in your own heart. Well, I don't like him. Then why'd you marry him? (laughs) Husbands, this is where we're going. Verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually, excuse me, shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. Husbands, you're the leaders, but you're the head for the benefit of the body. Wives, you benefit the body, benefit the whole by supporting the head. This is what God's called us to. Let me pray for you. Father, Lord, we live in a time, God, where this is very much attacked. The order of the home, the order of our hearts, as we look at our homes, our perspective is just out of order. But I pray that you would give us a proper perspective so that our families can be blessed. And Lord, I pray for those in the building today who would say, I've done this wrong. I've made these mistakes, and maybe there have been consequences because of those mistakes. Lord, I pray there's no condemnation in Christ. You give them the ability to fresh start, to start again today, to start afresh today. And even if there's no longer a relationship, you still wipe things clean by your blood, and they're enough in you. They're in Christ. The example of the husband and the wife, God, is just the example of Christ in the church. We're a part of your body, and we're grateful to be that. Teach us how to do that well. Teach us how to walk worthy of our calling. Teach us how to be a shining example of what a family should be to a lost world that doesn't have one. Order our hearts properly. Order our hearts properly. And I thank you for renewed unity in families. I thank you for renewed communication in families. I thank you for renewed intimacy in families. And for the blessings to flow in proper order. I pray these things over your people in Jesus' name. Now, if you're here this morning, and I've talked a lot about being a part of this body, but if you're here and you would say, Pastor, I'm, I'm not a part of this body because I'm far away from God. I'm not right with him. My sins have separated me from God, and I know that. I want to lead you in a prayer, and I want to invite you to be a part of the body. 
to be what the Bible calls born again, to be saved, washed in his blood, made a new creation in Christ. A new creation in Christ. And you can do that by making Jesus the Lord of your life. It's as simple as ABC. A, you admit that you're a sinner. B, you believe that God sent Jesus to die on that cross so that every sin you've committed can be washed away. And C, you confess that he is now Lord of your life, the head of your life, and that you're going to submit to his will and follow him. And with that, he gives eternal life. He gives forgiveness of sins and a relationship with the Father. So if that's you on the count of three, if you say, I, I need that, Pastor Gabe, I want that, and I'm ready to surrender and follow Jesus. I just want you to lift up your hand on the count of three. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And these words aren't going to save you, but a surrendered heart and a willingness to follow him is going to save you by his grace. One, two, three. If that's you, lift up your hand. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Thank you. Thank you. See your hands over there. Praise God. Thank you, sir. See your hand. Thank you. See your hand back there. See your hand, ma'am. Praise God. You can put them down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together, every one of us. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go there. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with God the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's pray. Let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer. Be born again. Listen, stand to your feet. I want to pray for you one more time and release you. And thank you for coming. And listen, if you prayed that prayer to be born again, I only ask two things of you. Number one, tell someone about the decision you made. You can do that by filling out the card in the pew pocket in front of you. You can just tell someone in the church, I, I got born again. What do I do next? Second thing I ask is keep coming. Keep coming and learn what it means to follow Jesus with those who are following Jesus. Also, we have prayer partners up front on your way out and we have our intro to serve today. If you're interested in learning ways to serve and be a part here in the church, looking for an area to connect with people or being on the team, we'd love to have you. Our serve team, um, our serve meeting is gonna be right across the awning in the student ministry building on your way out. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for your people. I pray that you would bless them, God, with all spiritual blessings and with your grace. I pray you would make your face shine on them, God. You would bless them in their going out and then they're coming in. And in all that they put their hands to for your name's sake would be blessed and for the furthering of your kingdom. As a church, I pray that they would be a pure church who walks in the fear of the Lord, a persistent church, even in the face of challenges, and a powerful church filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, go saints. Amen.